0: Well, Cody, I don't. Uh, we're still in our 30s. We're at like 36, 37. i, I we're, getting bo- closer to one
1: yeah, the one year mark. Yeah, the,
0: And the bones are getting creaky because we're reaching our 40s as well. Here on the Rocktown Sports Pod, Rockingham County's only all local sports podcast. I got the cadence down in that pretty well, don't I?
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> pretty well, impressive.
0: <laughs> hey, let's jump right in. I know when it's like Cody's on. It's like, oh, great, they're going to talk some high school football, aren't they? Well, we will eventually, uh, but I think it's important uh, that, uh, well, I mean, goodness gracious, the uh, the prep volleyball postseason starts uh, Thursday night uh, with Valley District Tournament. I, I think the best way to put the Valley District its Rockbridge County and then just kind of a mess after that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's filled with a lot of parity, certainly. And um, it's going into this, I think, you know, even if you asked every coach in the league, I think they would all agree that Rockbridge is probably going to, going to win this tournament, or at least is the favorite to do so. Um, I believe they only lost one set this year. That was Broadway, and they went down there in Lexington and won a first set, and then Rockbridge won the next three. Um, So, you know, they haven't really – I mean, they're a really good team. They're a team that has, you know, state tournament aspirations, and they're looking a lot further than just this district tournament. Um, You know, in terms of the Valley, that second spot, that second regional spot in Region 3C is going to be, you know – Determined by who finishes other runner up. And, um, you know, record wise, right now, Spotswood is considered the number two seed. Um, you know, with, the, with Harrisonburg joining the district this year, Harrisonburg automatically gets that first round bye. So they'll play Rockbridge in that sec- the semifinal round.
0: And when you, not to interrupt you, when you say joining the district, you mean rejoining the tournament? The tournament, yes. They were yes, gone correct. for two years. Yes, they
1: hadn't been playing in the tournament. They've been playing in the district games. But yes, the tournament, they're back in the tournament this year. Um, so because they're a class five school and they don't want it to affect, you know, teams in re- regional birds, they're going to play Rockbridge in the semis, so that means uh, Thursday night we're going to have Spotswood hosting Turner Ashby and um, Waynesboro hosting Broadway for two quarterfinal games, and then those two winners will play for a uh, semifinal match, and then the winner of that will get a regional burst, so... um, you know, it's really wide open. Any of those four teams right now I think could win. Uh, you know, you're talking about a TA team that started off 2-0 with a couple of wins in the district. Um, you know, Waynesboro is a team that seems to be hot recently. Broadway a team that's been up and down, but has shown at times that they can play with anybody. Like I said earlier, they're the only team that's beat Rockbridge in a, in a set. And then um, Spotswood is a team that, you know, is there every year, and they've done this before. So um, four teams there, and it should be wide open. What a turnaround for Waynesboro uh, volleyball. That was a program that had been st-
0: struggling at least for the past two years and it seems like they've finally gotten their stuff together
1: yeah and it's not necessarily i don't think they're all grown up because they're not necessarily a a senior filled team but they do have a lot of players that were freshmen and sophomores the past two seasons that are now juniors that are really stepping up and when you look around the rest of the league you have a bunch of teams that lost a lot from last year that's what we talked about coming into the season we knew a lot of our you know especially in our city county teams that a lot of those teams were young um very inexperienced you do a lot of the, the standout players are gone this year so um it was kind of a perfect storm for waynesboro and you know, they've, they've really come on strong here late in the year. Um, you know, I, I would say entering the tournament tomorrow, um, it's, I think that Broadway-Waynesboro matchup there in that, in that one quarterfinal game could really be the team that is kind of the favorite throwing in that second seat.
0: So what are they taking? They're taking the, the regular season champs already moving on the regions. That's Rockbridge County. So no matter what Rockbridge County does in the semifinal against Harrisonburg, uh, they're moving on. Right. And, and we know Harrisburg is moving on because the region they're in, 5D, is, is all in. So they're just kind of in this – the. the you know, be back in a tournament and even it up a little bit, and and, and to avoid that two week layover that their their team sports were stuck in uh, when they got rid of the valley. So then after that, how does this work? Is it the,
1: who else is going? And then after that, I believe it's based off, because now you've got the where, where it gets confusing now is you've got that Fort Wilson. Situation in the Shenandoah, One only one of those teams can earn a guaranteed spot from the Shenandoah. Um, that right now, that looks like it's going to be Fort. Wilson right now, in terms of, you know, if you just look at PowerPoints and how that's all laid out, they would technically be the third team in Region 3C. Um, but... They're only guaranteed one spot, so they are hoping to get that wild card spot that we talk about so often in so many sports. Um, So I've actually got to talk to Tim Leach tomorrow and kind of get it squared away on how many teams exactly. But it's looking like there will be two guaranteed spots, and then there's a third that would typically be a Valley team. But because the Valley's been so down this year and the power points aren't quite as high as they typically are. You know, Typically, we have four or five teams in those top eight spots. This year, I'm not quite sure that's that's the case. So um, it's looking like there may only be two Valley teams moving on. So
0: uh, Wilson uh, moving up to, to three, and then uh, Fort staying at three, but moving to the Shenandoah District has kind of muddied the waters a little bit in terms of uh, who's going and who's not.
1: Yeah, and then this is probably one of the only sports where that's going to be the case where you have a situation like that because – Volleyball, both of those te- both those programs are really, really, really good. Um, I don't think you know in basketball or, or you know any other sports we're going to see- have a situation where both those teams were expecting to be you know real contenders. Um, this just happens to be a unique, unique situation. Um, but yeah, so I expect Wilson to kind of take that wild card spot. Fort will get another. Then two Valley teams, two Seminole teams, and two uh, Jefferson District teams. And when does Bull Run start? Because I think we need to talk a little about East Rock. East Rock, uh, regular season wraps up not till the end of next week. So Valley is a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of everybody else um, public school-wise, I think because of – um, just you know less teams things like that but yeah I mean East Rock that's, that's shaping up to be a good tournament in terms of you know you look at East Rock and Madison County they've now split on the season that's East Rock's only loss um, in terms of five set matches they lost two to uh, Liberty Bedford earlier this year or yeah Liberty Bedford earlier this year mm-hmm. um, at a Flavanna County tournament but um, you know Madison's the same team that knocked them out last year in the Region 2B semifinals they were 1-1 away from that state tournament berth. Um, East Rock's talked about that all year. Michaela Jones she went down early the team didn't seen us to beat sage fox has stepped up delaney wiggly and emma wiggly um they've all been impressive and and that's what they've all talked about that's what their, their their sights are on um they want to get to that state tournament and you know i think what it's going to come down to is it's going to be madison county and east rock even not just in the bull run but that entire region to be now that wilson's out of there and, and of course riverheads will go down to class one um there's not nobody else in the shenandoah that's really going to push those two i don't think so it's going to be i think we're going to be having a having a lot of showdowns between madison county and east rock these next few weeks goodness gracious
0: i mean i I think everyone on the outside looking in at that East Rock program, the second Michaela Jones went down uh, with the torn ACL uh, in the preseason, uh, I think a lot of people, again, on the outside looking in, were just like, oh, there goes that season. You lose your high flyer. You lose your reigning district player of the year. Uh, Just for them to kind of regroup and continue to just dominate without that that, that sky presence has just been fantastic phenomenal to watch
1: yeah and I think a big part of that and it sounds cliche because I know so many teams talk about you know how close they are and how much chemistry they have but that team really is built on the bond that they share with with those nine seniors on the roster that they've played they all, all played together for so so long um, and you know they just it seems like every night there's someone different that's stepping up yeah you've got the sage Fox the Emma Wigglies the Delaney Wigglies that are pretty consistent but you've got girls like Kayla Rhodes and Sarah Smith and all these different girls that at least you know it seems like once a week one of those names is coming up with a big night for them and um, it's been huge all year I mean they've been as impressive as anybody and um, you know like I said I just think that Madison County East Rock rivalry then these next few weeks could be a lot of fun
0: to watch Eastern Mennonite High School probably the uh, the best volleyball program we have in the city county right now this year at least and and maybe last year as well just for how far they went and they uh, in the uh, the Virginia Independent Schools Athletic Association. I got that right. It's a lot. Of, it's a mouthful. Uh, they won their Blue Ridge Conference quarterfinal, and they're hosting a semifinal Thursday night. It looks like they're not going to see many challenges until they get into the 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 VISAA tournament.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they, they have a semifinal uh, match on. Thursday, tomorrow, and then they've got another. Uh, then if they win, they'll they'll host a championship match on Saturday. Um, but then from there, that's when it really starts for them. I think you know they've shown that they've coached it through the BRC all year. Um, I don't think they've lost many sets at all, if I remember correctly. Uh, and so then once they get to state play, that's where um, they have wanted to get to. That's where they they've put their goal on, on it from the beginning of the year. Um, and you know that's it's an opportunity for them to go further. I think last year what they finished and they fell in the semifinals. Um, their goal is to make it to that championship match this year and obviously that's a tough task there's some really good teams once you get to that level um but so far they haven't missed a beat i mean they're they're unbeaten on the year and uh you know adrian klein as we know we've talked about her a lot mm-hmm. she's she's probably the best player in the area right now and and she continues to get better and better and um she was actually honored yesterday just before their matches as, as this the virginia um player of the week by the uh it was a certain volleyball organization. I can't think of the organization right now, but um, she's she's just really elevated her game this year, even more so than last year. And um, you know she continues to carry that team. Uh, let's switch gears and uh, to to the little
0: prep football action uh, real quick. Uh, it is Wednesday at five oh six p.m. as we record this, and already Spotswood is 8-0.
1: Yeah, uh, tough news to hear yesterday. I think it was it was kind of a shock to everyone. I don't think you know from you know from the Spotswood locker room to the Waynesboro locker room to us here in the media to fans. Nobody expected to hear or read that yesterday, and um, to find out Waynesboro had had forfeited Friday's game um, due to numbers. You know, Sean Moran, Waynesboro's second year coach. They they canceled the JV team earlier in the year, and then now um, down to eighteen healthy bodies. And from what I've been told from people who are on that program is that. It, it, of those 18 healthy bodies about 14 of them were offensive linemen so that's where you that's where you run into issues is you know if one guy gets hurt you have i mean you're talking about two receivers a running back and a quarterback and, and that's it um you just you, they were they said they were literally one injury away from, from happening on friday night to having to forfeit in the middle of the games and they didn't want to they didn't want to be stuck in that situation um you know 22 players only dressed last week lost two more in the 24-hour span this past monday um so just a tough situation out there you you hate that for them I um, hate that for the kids, and it, it's just hard to believe, considering it's they're only what five years removed from a, a state, from a state quarterfinal appearance.
0: Yeah, when they were the first number sixteen seed to beat a number one in a major upset and a, and a great storyline in the Virginia high school league that took place in, in twenty fourteen, it is. It's you gotta feel bad for for the coaches and the and the administration there, at Waynesboro, and you also gotta feel bad for a lot of those players, uh, both the ones who are still there and the ones who got injured. I mean, nobody. You know, you don't want to see this happen.
1: Yeah, and, it, it, and there's been, you know, some some conversations on, on social media about the coaches and, and different things like that. But, you know, a lot of people don't remember Sean Miranda didn't exactly step into a great situation when he took that job two years ago. I mean, Derek McDaniel was leaving, and they were coming off a playoff appearance. But, you know, I, I, I'm not saying – Derek McDaniel purposely left Sean Moran in a bad situation. He was ready to retire, and he was ready to get out of there. But that team lost a lot of players, and they, they came back with a really, really young team then, and that's what Sean Moran inherited. And then, you know, from there, the, the, it was another young young season this year. So, you know, sometimes, we talk about it all the time, the cycles of high school sports, and, you know, we've never seen it locally get this bad before, but – It's hard to, you know, just point to coaches right now with that situation and say that's the problem.
0: No, I mean, there's no fingers to point other than the fact that numbers are down and it is a problem happening nationally. It is a problem that we've seen right here in the state with teams like Bland County. Uh, you know, kiboshing their season. Manassas Park.
1: I mean, we were talking about Turner Ashby this summer, talking with Chris Fraser about how it, it, he was concerned about numbers mm-hmm. until he had some guys like Nico Valet, Jared Peak, some of these other multi-sport athletes that came out and joined the team. And even now, when even when last week at this Turner Ashby Spotswood game, you looked over on that sideline and Spotswood, it looked like the, I mean, I, I know. Technically, they didn't, but it looked like they had double the amount of players because of how fewer the Turner-Ashby players had. And that's something, I mean, you know, we're looking at TA, they're 5-2. and two. It's not like you know they're just boasting sixty seventy members on their roster either. This yeah. is a, this is a common problem around the area.
0: Yeah, and it's not like they're they're playing both sides. It's not like they're they're doing like the Donnie Coleman split ships. That, like, that, that's like not that's they, not going to happen at very
1: many schools around this area. That was a very once in a lifetime type of deal. And Donnie Coleman said that this summer when we talked to him, he got very lucky with that group of seniors to be able to do that. I mean, when you got twenty seniors right there, that's almost two units in itself. Yeah. So you're not going to have many teams that are able to do that. And yeah, so. You know that the the low numbers thing that's something that everybody's looking at Wayne's right now, and I know the, the forfeit makes it look worse, but this is a common problem around not just this area, but the entire state, the entire country.
0: And I mean, it's it's it, and there's no shame in it. I I I believe. I mean, it's at some point you got to make a decision that's right for your program, right for your kids. And I look back to Nelson County, and in Nelson County, you know, back in the day, and I'm going to age myself here. Back in the early 2000s, when they had a running back by the name of Hayes Page, who was fantastic. Uh, you know, and they're coached by Billy League and they're making playoff runs. And then, what, two, three years ago, they dropped out of the VHSL as mm-hmm. kind of like a reset period where they played like, you know, private schools. Right. And, and, and well, Rappahannock sc- County recently yeah, did that. And, and scrimmages. And then, and then once they got back, they felt like their program was back on track. They jumped it back into the VHSL. And I don't think there's any shame in that. I also think it needs to open the door a little bit for a little more eight man discussion. I think eight man football, I know a lot of people, they, they kind of like it's. You know, uh, you know, when you hear eight man football, but it, it, in a lot of other states, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, it is a thing and it thrives. And it, there's it's,
1: it's just thing just over the mountain over in Charlottesville. There's some eight man, yeah. eight man teams right now, and and they
0: put on a state championship, and it's the same atmosphere. It's just a different game, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I think at some point the conversation, you know. Needs to get a little more real with that. I mean, I think esports are fine, and dandy. You know, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not knocking esports. I grew up a gamer, man. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, right. I, I'm still a gamer for crying out loud. Uh, but I think, you know, if we're having that conversation towards esports, which is great, and they should be having, I think that maybe the VHSL gets needs to get a little more serious about eight man football and what this can bring to the state and how this can alleviate some of these problems. And and they got to sell it as no shame. I mean, it can't be this. You know, you
1: can't you can't make it. Yeah, come okay. across as a, a lesser version exactly. of it.
0: Exactly. And I, I think you should need to encourage schools that might not have the numbers, like Waynesboro. Say, hey, you sure you don't want to come in an eight man for come in and the eight man teams for three or four years? Mm-hmm. It, you know, Reese. And you know, hey, if you like it and you're winning state championships, or you're moving to the state championship in eight man. It, stay. Right, But, you know, but use it as kind of like that little – that buffer just to, you know, reset your roster, rebuild your roster, and come back
1: in. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I think that's the biggest thing for them is they've kind of just got to hit the reset button here and, and try to rebuild. I mean, for now – um you know they haven't mentioned the eight-man option so you know for them right now if you're Sean rain the first thing you're doing as soon as the season ends is you're going around the halls and you're talking to every athlete in that school that you see you're talking to you know the basketball players you don't come out. that's one of the things that Dale Shifflett has done so well at Spotswood and has increased their numbers over the years they're down now at 56 players this season um I was looking at some of the roster numbers earlier today you know he went out and got Ralph Smith from the basketball team, and he went out and got these different guys. You know the wrestlers, Ben Conahan, who who moved up, moved from Ohio was, was an all state wrestler. He picked him up. I mean, he went out and got these guys. Cole Myers, a baseball player. And then he he got them on the field. Aubrey Atwell last year, a mm-hmm. soccer player, now as a Division two kicker on a scholarship. I mean, he got these guys out here to play, and that's how you know you build a program. In, in schools around this area, your best athletes need to be playing multiple sports. And multiple coaches have told me that, and that's something that rings true at every school.
0: But his, I believe his junior and senior, maybe just a senior, Brennan freaking Hanafy was a wide receiver for and, Turner High,
1: and he was probably the best wide receiver in the area. I think he was all district, <laughs> he, and, and, and He's then,
0: incredible. And then <laughs> he gets. And then the, the, that spring, he gets drafted by the Baltimore Orioles, and he's up now. He's pitching for Frederick, right? I mean, yeah, your, your best athletes need, need to be on the football field, they also need to be wrestling. But I think those two kind of go together. Uh, and uh, but hey, let, you know, we started. I was going to tell you a great segue till we went off on a tan, and You started <laughs> talking about TA Spotswood, and I appreciate the setup till I went off. But you know, let's talk. We did a quick cast uh, after the game Friday, last Friday, when uh, you know, when when TA, you know. You know, ha- had that game, yeah, uh, and then but then Spotswood flexed its muscles and let people know, oh, not yet. You know, this is the, we're the seniors this year. This is our year. Uh, you were out there. You still smell a gumbo a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know how? I mean, watching that, who came away the bigger winner? I mean, I know that's a trick question. I know Spotswood is 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 well, they that made them seven and zero, and they came out the winner. But I mean, in terms of
1: you know, did, did T.A. come out a bigger winner, though? I don't know if they would say that, but I think from from my personal standpoint, I, I feel like they did. I and mean, I just feel like going into we talked about it before the game, I felt like they didn't have anything to lose. I felt like, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what they did, they were going to be okay. Because I think a lot of people thought they were going to go in there and get blown out after what Spotsford did the week before to Rockbridge County. And then to come out there to kind of punch Spotswood in the mouth early with this when CJ Haston scores a touchdown, then they get a field goal, make it 10-0. And then, I mean, it was just dead silent on that Spotswood side, and you kind of felt like like oh my gosh i mean and ethan barnhart in my story he had a quote where he talked about you know in that first half the crowd from ta was kind of overbearing a little bit and he and it was it kind of felt like a road game um and i, I thought there was just two plays that really changed the momentum of the game rob smith catches the screen pass t- takes stunning
0: it. that a rob smith play changed the momentum of the game
1: <laughs> right and then he took he takes it 53 yards to the house um, and then, you know, in the third quarter, they get a, a defensive stand. And then on their first possession, um, Cole Myers caps off a really long drive with a, with another touchdown run.
0: Stunning that um, Cole Myers <laughs> capped off a long yeah, touchdown drive run. Yeah, the same old names every week, run. Right? Yes.
1: Um, So, yeah, I mean, those two plays, really. But, you know, outside of that, even that – and that's what, you know, C.J. Haskins' turn-RHP quarterback talks about afterwards is he felt like two big plays were the difference. And that was the most frustrating part for them was the Ryle Smith – Completion, and then Ethan Barnhart had a a big 60-yard run that set up Myers' touchdown. Um, And a shocking Ethan Barnhart, (laughs) Uh, but you know, and that's what's tough for them. Anyway, I know it's going to be. It was probably tough for them to swallow for at least a couple of days because they felt like they had that game won. Um, But when you look at that, they earned a lot of respect, like I've said all week. And I think you know, moving forward, as long as they build off that and don't let that, you know, they don't dwell on it and, and let it kind of bring them down this week. Um, As long as they go out there and take care of business, you know, that's something they can build off of. And going into the postseason, something that's got to give them some confidence. Taking care of business against
0: Harrisburg won't be easy, though.
1: Yeah, no, and you, I mean, yeah, Harrisonburg certainly is rolling right now. I mean, um, they seem to have effectively, the past two weeks, found a way to really get Quentin Smiley involved. they, they made the switch, you know, four or five weeks back or whatever, and it seemed like they were still kind of trying to figure out exactly what they wanted him to do. The, you know, they, they put him out in, this, in the receiver position, they put him in running back, put him in quarterback, and while they're still doing that, it seems like whatever they, they're doing now is working – well, because he's got seven touchdowns over the past two weeks, and you know, it's, it's happening in the air, it's happening on the ground, and then last week he even completed a pass. So, um, that paired with the defense playing extremely well, and then uh, Keenan Glego now um, really starting to get comfortable with that quarterback position, um, you yeah, know, they, they certainly look like a much different team than we were talking about a month ago. Uh,
0: I want to go back to the spots with TA games. I just thought of a question uh, to ask you two questions, actually. Put the coach's cap on, Cody, if you don't oh, mind. Oh, boy.
1: Well, not, there's not, a reason why I
0: don't coach. Not, <laughs> not, not even a coach's cap. Uh, put me back in your shoes. Uh, Dale Shiflett's reaction after that game. Was it more of a, whoo, you know, we got out of this one? I mean, what was his initial reaction after that game?
1: Well, he, it was it was somewhat, you know, just relieved. Um you know he he, he wasn't. And I would definitely say he wasn't as happy as, as I've seen him after some wins. You know he was definitely frustrated. I think. But he was he was really happy with the defense. He he thought they played a great game defensively the entire contest. Um, and they did. They played pretty well, especially in the second half. They completely shut down Grant Swine He he didn't have a single rushing yard in the second half. Um, and I don't. I mean, you never see anybody do that. Um, but the offensively, you know, the passing game never got going. Uh, Ron High missed some throws that he usually doesn't there were a ton of holding penalties especially late they were just killing drives um they could have had another touchdown late in the game and there was three or four holding penalties right in a row and that, i know he got really ex- frustrated about that um so it was just kind of a sloppy performance from them in terms of offense, and, and I, I know that kind of bothered him. But like he said after the game, you know, it's it's a tough district, and and they knew that they're going to get their be- they're going to everybody's best every night. Um, so he's, he his words to me, were I'm not we're never going to apologize for a win. So I think he was just happy to kind of get out of there with the with the victory and uh, move on. And now he's got another one under his belt without even playing. So <laughs> uh,
0: the other sideline, Chris Fraser, how was he after that one? What was his initial reaction to the to the loss?
1: Proud. I mean, that was the first thing he said to me. And you know, I asked him, you know, he, I asked him about the effort his team put forth um, because, you know, I think, it, like I said, it surprised so many people. And he's, you know, he he just talked about how good of a team spotswood is. First off, um, how much respect they had for them, and then he just talked about how proud he was of his guys for not backing down and kind of coming in there and, and you know holding their own a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think you know he, he said afterwards he he wasn't ready to call it a moral victory, but I, I think he called it he he said it was pretty close because, um, like I said before, I mean that this was a surprising performance and one that earned them a lot of respect. All right, the last game we got uh,
0: Friday is uh, Broadway welcoming Rockbridge County uh, to Gobbler Country. Uh, Broadway still looking for a win. Rockbridge has got right back on track after the loss to Spotswood. I mean, it doesn't get any easier for for, for Broadway.
1: Yeah, if anything you just you know, like we've said before Danny Grog this week just has to look for small improvements in small areas. Um you know, in terms of cleaning up little things, you know, the defense has to have a better effort this week um because this is another, you know, high-powered offense just like Harrisonburg's is. Um this is a game where if that defense isn't on it, you know, isn't on on top of things, they they can give up a lot of points to this Rockbridge team because we know they can put up a lot in a hurry. Um so, you know, you just want to look for some small improvements and uh you know, they've got a tough couple of weeks here because they've got spots with next, um on their, on their schedule. So it's going to be tough these next few weeks. Um, and then they've got Waynesboro on their season finale. Uh, so, you know, hopefully if you're Danny, you're just hoping to try and get through these next few weeks, get some improvement, and, and try to build for the future a little
0: bit. And there's a little bit of question mark, I would imagine, if that, you know, we don't know, uh, but I think there's got to be a question mark if that Waynesboro game takes place.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm t- talking to some people around again around the program today, um, they're, they're you know, intention is, is 100% to play these next two games, especially um, because they said, you know, next week with the game being at JMU, they don't want to short um, the, the Turner Ashby kids of, of not being able to play in that envi- environment and, and different things like that. Um, so I think their intention is, is certainly to play. Um, but, again, you know, it, with injuries and things like that, you know, injuries still happen in practice. If a couple more players go down or guys aren't able to get fully healthy and come back um, – yeah, you know who knows what's going to happen. I forgot that game's at JMU next week. That would uh,
0: that would lead to some scrambling, I do believe, uh, in terms of that game getting played. But you got to keep the safety of the players is number one and if if sean and waynesboro don't have enough players i mean uh, no harm no foul i think
1: their goal was to just get to that 22 number that they were at a week ago um right now they're at 18 two guys went down monday and i think two more just kind of nursing kind of lingering injuries and i think from what i've been told again from some of the assistants is that um if they can get to that 22 number, uh, their plan is to, to play. So awesome. Well, Cody, uh, thanks for joining us
0: on the Rocktown Ports sports pod. We appreciate it. Now we're going to bring in Shane Metlin, and Shane's going to talk about the now number 25th in the nation Bridgewater college football team. And of course, JMU men's basketball. Well, that was Cody Elliott talking, uh, of course, high school football. As you know, he's want to do. And now it's time for uh, Shane Metlin. Uh, You know him as the JMU men's and women's basketball beat writer. But as we said before, and we'll say it again, during the fall, he's got himself a football beat. That's Bridgewater College. And for the first time since 2007, Michael Clark and the Bridgewater College Eagles are ranked nationally. They slid into number 25 in the Division III coaches poll. For the first time, like I said, since two thousand and seven, Shane, you were out at the last game. You've been following this team all year long. Their latest win of fifty three to ten romp over Odacfo Farum in front of a homecoming crowd of almost twenty five hundred people. Shane, this team is uh, just continually. It looks like just. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to say continually getting better. It's just doing the same thing as doing all year, which is blowing out opponents,
2: and then come the third quarter, the you know the, the first stringers are resting. Yeah, yeah, that's what we've seen pretty much every game i think you look back at the shenandoah game they which has turned out to be one of the better teams in this conference too now we can look back at some results against each other they let them get back into that game just a little bit to the point where they were still playing the starters in the fourth quarter not that they were ever really truly threatened but you know since then it's just been romp after romp and yeah, you know, like you said, starters are head to the sidelines early in the third quarter and getting plenty of rest and staying healthy, and hopefully that'll you know manifest itself into good fortune going forward as the games are going to get tougher here in the next three weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, you got the they, they're at Washington and Lee this coming
2: Saturday, and then they host
0: Randolph-Macon <laughs> and in, and Emory and Henry to wrap up
2: the season. The uh, Other you, way around, they're okay. going down to Emory and Henry week after this, and okay. then. Then Randolph-Macon at home, which, if things will go the way they have been, it's going to be the de facto That's a nice setup ODAC right championship game. They'll still have to play. Um, Bridgewater still has to play Guilford last week of the season. If they do not
0: yeah, beat Guilford struggling. by
2: 35 points or more, that'll be an upset. But, you know, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure the coaching staff won't look at it quite that way, but... The if they keep winning, that game against Randolph-Macon is the ODAC championship game. <laughs>
0: but Before we get into the nuts and bolts of their latest win, I mean, with 20, almost 2,500 people there from homecoming this past Saturday, I mean, how was the crowd, I guess, is the first question I want to ask you.
2: This was the first time since I've been covering that team that I showed up reasonably early for the game. I got there around 1 o'clock for a 2 o'clock kickoff. And I parked on downtown Bridgewater because every <laughs> every lot in, on campus was full. And I um, the first time I didn't park across the street from uh, the Johnson <laughs> Athletic Complex. You know, um, there's always spots available right up until kickoff. And that's not to say there hasn't been good crowds, but for homecoming, uh, just you know, there are people. It it was similar to a JMU type atmosphere. The way the entire campus and the entire Surrounding blocks were just people walking around, partying, having a good time. Um, You know, we talk about the official attendance. Those people in the bleachers. Yeah. That tailgate lot behind the gym, uh, I guess, what is that? East of the field was jam-packed with people who were watching the game. And I don't think they were part of the official attendance. So it was it was a really good crowd, really good atmosphere for that game.
0: Yeah, and and, and they were really into it. I imagine. Yeah. Uh, they, they, I mean, they're six and zero for the first time since two thousand and two. Four and zero in the Odak, still undefeated. I mean, how is any any hint at how, how Michael Clark uh, is kind of keeping his team's head on straight? I mean, there's you know when when a national ranking comes, you know the, the, you know it comes a little. I think it, it could blew your head a little <laughs> bit. Get that ego going. Uh, but they're football players, so maybe it's not an issue. But, I mean, has Michael, uh, has Coach Clark kind of hinted at all what he's, how he's having these guys
2: deal with this? Um, you know, I think it comes back a lot to the fact that there are seniors in the leadership positions on this team that they they expected this. So I don't think it necessarily, you know, all of a sudden their heads are swelling. They believed they were this kind of team from – Time we started talking back in August, you know, maybe at the end of last season, they believe that this is where they were heading because they finished so strong. You know, this is 11 straight wins going back to last year. It's, uh you know, it's just been a really impressive run. And the fact that they're a veteran team, uh, I think, probably helps a lot compared to maybe if this was, you know, sophomores and juniors just getting their first taste of everything that being a college athlete throws at you.
0: Uh, Trey Stevens is one of those names you you know you're not going to hear every day. Uh, it doesn't seem like this. To, I think like maybe the second time I think I've heard about the name Trey Stevens uh, for Bridgewater, and you know what a game. I mean, he goes out there, he, eleven catches, 142 yards, a touchdown. It just yeah. seems like next man up almost.
2: Yeah, and you know it's something he mentioned. His name isn't getting mentioned as much this year as it did last year. Even he was maybe one of their you know more frequent targets last year he's kind of the epitome of the uh possession receiver when you look at, you know you looked at the halftime stats there on saturday and he already had eight catches for you know 80 some yards and you're thinking you know this guy's had this kind of game and he hasn't been in the end zone yet he finally got in the end zone in the second half and a really nice catch where he he made three great catches in a row um three straight snaps You know, he got one on the sideline where he got his toe down in bounds. He went across the middle, made a one-handed grab, and then he just beat his man to the corner on a little fade route for the touchdown. And like you said, they – but his game, the way he kind of emerged and had a big game this week is kind of the epitome of what this team has been like where they're doing all these different things on offense and defense just can't figure out how to cover everyone. There's, you know, so, you know, you get one game where it's Jared Denham that things are just open for him because they focused on, you know, trying to bottle up Demetrius Jalopi's running up the middle or you have the games where, you know, he breaks loose for some big runs or, um, you know, Jay Scroggins is dishing it out to a bunch of different receivers or this time where, you know, they obviously came in trying to stop some of those things that we just talked about and that left. You know, Trey Stevens open for you know a lot of things and he got some momentum going and it was his day. The the growth the growth of Jay Scroggins
0: over the past two and a half years is tough to ignore. I mean, his first, uh, I think his second year there, excuse me, he was making a lot of dumb mistakes. Uh, he was putting a lot of uh, on his shoulders, making bad throws, and maybe too quick to run the ball. And this stat is just mind-boggling to me. He's now in his 50, he's a 50-year senior now. He's throwing 159 straight passes without an interception dating back to last season.
2: Yeah, uh, second to last game of last season. I went and looked it up. His first throw of the game was interception and then nothing since then.
0: That that That's <laughs> just incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's just... And does that go back to this offense that they're running that you wrote about last week? I mean, is that... I mean, is this offense that no one can figure out or the other defenses can't seem to figure out? Is that part of the reason why this guy hasn't thrown an interception in over a year?
2: I think it has something to do with it, but it also is, you know, it goes back to him, too, that he's making the right decisions. Those... Plays are there for him. But, you know, you look at his – he's right at 70% completion percentage, I think. He's got to be leading Yodak, right, in in completion percentage? I believe so. but It might depend on where they draw the line for attempts because some of those teams that run the option and stuff are, you know, not throwing the ball a lot. And their quarterbacks are completing it when they do decide to throw. Um, But he's completing 70% of his passes – And, you know, I haven't gone back and, you know, watched film and figured it out or anything. But if you factor in a few drops here and there and the times where he's just throwing it away because that's the right decision, he's making the right throw. It's got to be 90 percent of the time, which is just incredible for a quarterback, you know, and they don't throw the ball a ton, but they throw it enough that he is a very, very significant part of their offense. They're not throwing it. 50 times a game like Shenandoah has in recent years. But, you know, what he's doing, they couldn't be where they are without what he's doing. Well, they, they threw a 27 in this win in the 53-10 to 10 win over Ferrum. He completed
0: 20 of those 27 attempts, 245 yards, two touchdowns. We know what the defense is doing. Special teams, they got a block punt. Yeah. <laughs> it, you got a little – you got former boss Beamer ball taking place down it, there at Bridgewater.
2: It, yeah, it's a little bit of – yeah, it's just like three weeks in a row where there's been a big special teams play of some sort where they, you know, either had a kickoff return, they faked a field goal for a touchdown last week or the week before, and then the Saturday, yeah, they had the block punt that you know set up a real short touchdown drive, and you know that kind of was also the moment where if it seemed like Farah might hang around for a little bit they got that block punt quick turn quick turnover and also they're up by a couple possessions and that was the moment where yeah once again this is going to be another route
0: and, and they, they they finally cracked the top 25 and we talked about it very briefly last week or the week before about how tough it, it almost seems like it's the opposite of fcs rankings or after the top 10 in the fcs it just kind of the bottom just completely drops out and i think you're just kind of throwing another 15 teams you could think of in your fcs mm-hmm. rankings as opposed to division three where you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of teams, and there's a lot of good teams.
2: Yeah, and it's, you know, I wouldn't want to be a voter in that poll because mm-hmm. how do I rank Chapman out <laughs> yeah. in California? I have no idea, like, how they compare to Bridgewater right now. All I can tell you is that Bridgewater looks really, really good when they step on the field, and it's hard to believe there are that many teams in the country playing better right now. Um, well, they got themselves
0: in line for an ODAC bid. Obviously, I don't... Just, I don't see it changing, the ODAC being a multiple team uh, tournament conference. I just don't see that happening. I mean, I.
2: Probably not. I mean, you have to kind of look at what starts to happen around the country. And when we see the NCAA put out regional rankings, that will give us an idea even more than these national top 25 polls, because we'll see where, you know, Bridgewater and Randolph-Macon sit in the – I think they'll be in the east. Uh, If not – I don't think they're in the south. I think they're in the east, but I'll have to double-check that. And, you know, we'll see where they sit within their own region, and that will give you an idea what the possibility for both of them getting into the playoffs might be. And, you know, what happens if they play another double overtime game and both ends up with one loss on the season to good teams – you know, you'd have to think that they'd be on the cusp, but you never know. And and you talk about it in your Odac Power
0: Rankings, which run in Thursday's paper. You know, Emory and Henry all of a sudden is is a team people are talking about. Here is a team that. You know, kind of struggled at the start of the season and got a nice uh, hail mary win uh, over uh, Washington and Lee this past weekend down there in Emory. So uh, the road, like you talked about, the road doesn't get any easier uh, for the next two weeks for this uh, these Eagles, this Eagles team. But yeah. if they take care of business, they they they'll, they get the ODAC mm-hmm. Championship and and they're they're an automatic
2: bid. Yeah, which you know to see this program. Which has not been bad in those years since they were a annual playoff team. They've had those years where they've been eight and two, seven and three, eight and two, and just haven't quite gotten into the playoffs. So it's not like the program has been incredibly down, but it's difficult to make the Division Three playoffs. And you know, to see them on the cusp of you know getting back to that, you can understand the excitement. Speaking of excitement,
0: that's a nice segue here. <laughs> uh, I don't think. If you, it's been a while since I think there's been this kind of excitement surrounding the James Madison uh, men's basketball team heading into the preseason. Uh, They're back on campus. One, you know, they're they're practicing on campus again. Uh, Lewis Rowe, uh, we all know is a defensive guy. That's what he's been preaching since the second he got in here. Is defense, defense, defense. What have you been seeing since uh, since they've been back on the practice court?
2: they're going to make some changes to their defensive style and strategy mm-hmm. um you know you, you mentioned you know Lou is a defensive coach that's what he wants and he was frankly really disappointed with where they were defensively last year they were bottom half of the CAA they were um i think 319 in the country in defensive efficiency mm-hmm. um, i'm working on a story for upcoming paper about this and Some of the things that might be positive signs, one of them is they want to get out and play a more pressure style, uh, put pressure, even full court pressure on teams, try to create more turnovers, things like that. And something the players kind of feel like You know, you talk to somebody like Darius Banks, he's like, yeah, that that fits me. That suits me to go out and do that. You know, he felt like at times just trying to stay out of foul trouble, he maybe was held back a little bit to not go for as many steals and things, which is a really big part of his game. And also he was forced to play out of position a lot too, which kept him off the perimeter where he can, you know, really make a big difference. Um, But, you know, another thing that I'm going to get into in the story is, a one of the advanced stats that I don't dive into as much, but this one jumped out at me, is that teams who get at least 70% of their minutes from returning players usually show big improvements on both ends of the court. And actually they show bigger improvements defensively usually. But a team that has so much room to improve defensively like JMU, those teams tend to make big jumps and you look just at what they are bringing back from last year, the seven or so guys who played last year that are coming back played 68.9% of their minutes last year. <clears throat> guy like Devin Flowers, guys like Zach Jacobs are going to play more. So they're going to be at that 70% range of getting minutes from experienced players. So that points to a potential jump. In, in productivity on both ends of the court. So it would be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. Is the excitement
0: warranted? Speak to me. <laughs> Imagine I'm a JMU men's basketball fan, long-suffering. I, I, I want to see improvement. Is my excitement
2: warranted? I think so. You know, you, you, you're a newspaper guy, so you understand this. When you are on a beat and you get close to things, sometimes you feel like you get sucked into – the narrative that everybody is talking about and telling you. And, you know, so you're wary of that. And you you're think, you know, yeah, everybody's telling me this guy looks really good in practice, but, you know, I saw yeah. the play last year. Like, I, I'm not expecting that much. But they have these guys coming back. Like I said, having 68% of your minutes from last year coming back is a big deal. And there's so much turnover in the conference, you know if they don't make a jump this year, then it's going to be disappointing and it's going to be, you know, a tough time for this program if they're not significantly better. And so I think that's probably where the uh, excitement is, is that, you know, they've been waiting around for this, 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 but you've mentioned it several times to me. When I took this job, you mentioned it to me that this school, their national reputation as a school was built on this basketball program becoming a nationwide thing and, having big name coaches and getting to the NCAA tournament. And as much as all the other sports have done to build on that in the time since, and you know, maybe this is a football school right now, but people are waiting or waiting basketball. Yeah. They're not building a brand new arena. To have 2,000 people sitting there on their hands like th- they're expecting something and big thing, to come down the line
0: and I go to Costco a lot and that thing just keeps <laughs> getting bigger and bigger yeah. and I think w- along with that, I think the expectations are kind of getting bigger and bigger as well because you know yeah the, you know, the, it's going to be multi-purpose you know it's going to be <laughs> Harrisburg and Rockingham County's arena but I mean it's we're J- you know it's on JMU to fill this thing up and, and I think in terms of the women's program when you're bringing in Uh, which is, you know, established and good and and has been good for a while. And and, and you add into that, hey, you know, we got a verbal commit from Stephanie Odekirk, who's right down the road, State Player of the Year at Spotswood. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're Sean O'Regan, you're kind of smiling a little bit going, hey, you know, I'm going to feel, you know, the the potential for me to get a large crowd here with people driving down from Penn Lear and McGackiesville to come watch Stephanie play because Stephanie's a ball player, you know, she's not walking on. (laughs) She's going to, you know... At some point in her career at James Madison, she's going to be a focal point, I would imagine. Uh, But, I mean, you know, he's got to be smiling. And then, you know, but it's on kind of like it's on Lou and and the men's program to to fill the place, right?
2: Yeah, and I mean, yeah, we JMU women's basketball is kind of on another level for mid-major basketball programs with the amount of interest and things. And as good as it is, it's... It's hard to imagine it getting a lot better just in terms of interest and stuff. But there's a lot of room for improvement just in you know attendance, people paying attention, people talking about it around town for this men's basketball team. And it's important not just for JMU. It's important for the CAA, I think, for mm-hmm. JMU to have a really good men's basketball program. The because, CAA's better when JMU's better. Yeah, you, you see it. I mean, there's it's become... For a school in its position as a mid-major, JMU has got as much of a national brand thanks in large part to a football national championship, a lacrosse national championship, a soccer team that's, you know, up there with, you know, some of the best programs in the country. You know, people know about JMU athletics. And for the CAA, which men's basketball being its moneymaker, they need JMU to be good. I mean – Northeastern can be good, Drexel can be good, and nobody in Philadelphia or Boston cares. Exactly. But, exactly. but, you know, JMU, it's a big deal for this entire state when JMU is good at things. Yeah, because you throw in the, the Nova uh, alumni base. You throw in, I mean, from you yeah. know, from North Virginia
0: down to Roanoke, you throw mm-hmm. in that alumni base, maybe even further south, you yeah. know, and down 81, and, and all of a sudden becomes this whole western side of the state thing, I mean, with the exception of the hop, skip, and jump over Blacksburg at Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, depending on what their men's basketball program is, how they're doing. But, I mean, it becomes a whole Western Virginia uh, fan base at that point if that men's basketball program is where people want it to be back at.
2: And even if you're a Virginia Tech fan in this state and aren't an active JMU fan, you're paying attention to what JMU does here as opposed to – in. You know, I we've talked about, you know, Drexel. They're in such an unfortunate position mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. They're behind four pro sports teams and they're behind five other colleges just in terms of like the interest there that they, they would have to get to the Sweet 16 before anybody really cared about Drexel basketball in Philadelphia. Whereas, you know, if here came, you get to the college sports are a big deal in Virginia and.
0: If JMU gets to the CA championship game, yeah, you know it doesn't even win. It gets to the CA championship game, which in turn should probably come with an NIT bid, I would mm-hmm. imagine. I mean, people. I mean, that that's like a, that's a that's a win. Yeah, I mean that's a win. I mean, and can you imagine if they win the CAA tournament and they go to the the NCAA? I mean, this you know that's this whole this whole side of the whole state's gonna be paying attention because no doubt you'll have UVA in there. No mm-hmm. doubt you'll have you know you, you, you might have Virginia Tech in there. Uh, and then there you got you got you got JMU. So you got your three bit your your big three state schools
2: uh, playing in the NCAA tournament, and this place would be going crazy. Yeah, and and like I said, it's this is a, everybody in Virginia, you know, pays attention to the Redskins and things. But college sports is kind of what unites the entire state. Like whether you're in Danville or you know Arlington, it, as, as it, the Nats it, play in the World Series. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, <clears throat> you know. We can go back to our shared newspaper experience when we were in the media general chain and they were kind of trying to push the idea of, you know, Virginia papers, where it's like what goes on the front cover in Danville or Martinsville isn't the same as what goes Mm -hmm. on there. Other than, you know, Hokies and Cavaliers, that's the uniting factor statewide. And, you know, CAA teams, you know, like, you know, Richmond football or, you know, formerly VCU basketball, JMU in a lot of sports, William & Mary, even if you're not a fan of those, you're working with somebody who is a big alumni and really supporting, and you're paying attention, you're talking to them, it's the conversation here where it's not in a lot of places speaking of men's soccer what's up with that
0: uh the the fog the, the fog <laughs> yeah. suspension of, i mean did, did they net they have they never watched the fog bowl the eagles and bears what was it 87 88 the fog bowl
2: have never seen that i don't know i wonder if it was just a case where um both coaches were okay with getting out of there with a tie against a rank a ranked team rather than a loss against a ranked team and uh said okay we'll we'll do that <laughs> yeah i mean i mean it
0: I, I it must have been pretty bad up there because i mean it was pretty yeah. bad and it
2: was pretty bad in
0: the valley uh fog wise last yeah. night i can only imagine what it was like up in uh college station shane as always uh thanks for joining us on the rocktown sports pod we appreciate it man
2: oh uh, thanks it was fun